When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Heads up, everyone. This is a fast-moving story, and we recorded this on Thursday night. Also, there's a little swearing in this episode. Consider yourselves warned. Here's the show. Hey, guys. Filipino YouTube celebrity here. Guess who just got an article on Forbes? Me. But not for the best reasons. That is the voice of Wow Mao, a YouTuber whose channel is mostly weird meme videos and mildly insane thought experiments like which U.S. president would you smoke weed with? He also runs a Discord server where this happened. On the 1st of March, a mod on my Discord server shared 30-plus leaked documents concerning the Russia-Ukraine war. And one month later, my name is showing up on news sites such as Forbes, The Telegraph, and The Washington Post. A massive trove of secret documents about the war in Ukraine and various military and intelligence operations. Things the U.S. government really did not want bouncing all over the internet. But they did on a series of Discord servers, including Wow Mouse. I can sort of understand how sharing big private military secrets could be a funny thing to do among your internet friends, but come on, take care of yourself and stay away from doing stuff like this. The servers are basically internet communities where members can post messages, share videos and memes, and talk with one another. They're popular with gamers, and there is, to be frank, a lot of shitposting. But Wow Mao's server is not where these documents first showed up online. Reporters traced them back to another Discord server and a poster who turned out to be a 21-year-old member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard named Jack Teixeira. So Jack Teixeira was sharing classified information in a server on Discord called Thug Shaker Central. That's Shane Harris, who covers intelligence for The Washington Post. The server's name comes from a racist meme, and there was racist and anti-Semitic content shared in the channel. The group also bonded over guns and ammo and military gear. But what's also really interesting in this story is that the server kind of, the group comes together at the onset of the pandemic. And a number of the users, and we think like the majority of them, are actually teenage boys, they're kids, who are cut off from their friends, they're locked down at home, they're feeling very isolated. And this server becomes like a pandemic refuge for them. Some of them were religious and they occasionally prayed together. And this guy, Tashira, who they would refer to as OG or the OG, kind of became the elder uncle-slash-father figure to a lot of the young kids in this group. But Tashira's day job was essentially IT support for the military. And he had access to an intelligence computer system that acts like the Pentagon's intranet. It's the network that if you are on that, you have access as to all kinds of top secret and sensitive information, much of which is of the kind that it looks like Tashira was allegedly putting in this chat room and that has leaked. On Thursday afternoon, Tashira was arrested by the FBI. 
today on the show, the inside story of how classified documents ended up on a corner of the internet, mostly occupied by gamers. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you're familiar with Discord, there's a decent chance you play video games. That's one of its big uses. Gamers can stream what they're doing to their friends and community. But it's not restricted to games. Anyone can make a server, basically your own message board where you can post things and chat by text and video. There are servers for things like cooking and music, pretty much anything you can imagine. But Discord is a pretty weird place for a major intelligence leak to happen. And from there, things just get weirder. I mean, I was pretty baffled. I mean, to be honest with you, I've been reporting on intelligence for now about 22 years. I've never seen a leak like this. I've never seen a a mishandling of classified information in this way. And like, you know, what baffles me about it, it's it wasn't even so much that it was on a Discord server, all that was sort of, you know, you know, a little bit weird in its own right. It was that from our reporting, it doesn't seem like Tashira had a political axe to grind. He wasn't leaking information to reporters. I haven't seen any indication that he was selling it to a foreign government. He wasn't posting it, you know, broadly for thousands of people to see. He was sharing it in this virtual clubhouse he created where he was sort of the leader of this pack of boys and apparently doing it to impress them. And, you know, we we interviewed one of these former members at great length and talked to another one as well. And what they described was this place where they're all hanging out and OG, or, you know, Tashira, as we're calling him now, um, was constantly kind of lecturing them about world affairs and, you know, things that you don't know about and kind of seemed to really get off on this idea that he had access to special knowledge that, you know, average people didn't. And he wanted to share it with these kids, importantly, because he thought they needed it to be strong and to be smart and to be aware of the world around them, which I think he perceived as threatening. I think it's worth explaining to people why this release of documents is so consequential before we even go through the digital trail. What was in these documents Why is the government so freaked out? What you're seeing here is, I kind of divide these into a couple of categories. 
One is a big chunk of the documents, and we think there are around 340 or 50 right now that are kind of the universe that we can capture. A big chunk of these are materials that were presented for high-level briefings of military officials showing how the war in Ukraine is playing out. Everything from casualties on both sides to the locations of Russian and Ukrainian troops, the number of Western uh, special operations forces that are in Ukraine, the number of rockets that the Ukrainians have, the munitions levels. Some of them are about forecasts for how the war is going. And it turns out the U.S. prognosis for where the war is going is not so great for Ukraine. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on about the war. There's satellite imagery of strikes by Russian missiles, stuff that, you know, is basically the kind of day-to-day blow-by-blow of the war but the secret version, not the kind that you generally would see on the news. And then there are these documents that are more, they look like bulletins. You could almost think of them as sort of like, you know, a news feed of events all over the world. Here's the latest in Iran. Here's what we have out of North Korea. And some of this we can tell is coming from CIA reporting that goes out on a secure channel each day that is kind of like the global situation update. You can almost think of it like a journalist is reporting to you news that they're picking up and attributing it to their sources and saying where they got it. Well, these documents do some of the same things, only in this case they attribute it to things like intercept communications or image from a satellite or human source. This level of detail is both, I mean, illustrative of what the government is able to do in terms of gathering intelligence, but importantly, it's also showing you in some cases how they're doing it. It's like the citations are the juiciest footnotes imaginable, telling the stories of each nugget of intelligence gathering. So, you know, there's this one report that talks about um, Viktor Orban in a meeting with his political strategy committee decided that the United States is his number three adversary in the world, which you might look at that and say, okay, well, whatever, not that surprising that, you know, authoritarian leader of Hungary doesn't like the United States. Except that when you look at the source attribution, it makes clear that it's coming from a human source, Hmm. which you're like, oh, so now does Hungary know that there's a spy inside his political organization? Does it set Orban off looking for a mole? So like, that's an example of how when, when countries that are being monitored or people that are being spied on now can see, oh, oh, it was that day. Oh, it was that conversation. Oh, it's that picture. It might give them a chance of how to unspool all this and say, oh, okay, now we know who was you know, informing on us, or now we can take steps to block access that the Americans might have. So that this is one of the big reasons why officials are so unnerved. It's not so much that the world knows what they know, although in some cases it is that, but it's also that people are now knowing how they know it. Wow Mao in his Discord server and on his YouTube channel says one of his moderators posted some of these documents on March 1st. When did the government figure out that this was happening? Many weeks later, um, which is another one of the puzzling aspects of this story, is that these documents were on the WowMail server, and then they start getting picked up, apparently, by others and moved into different channels. Um, there was a Minecraft server, I believe, it went, some of it ended up on. Yep. And it went into Twitter, it goes into Telegram. And so it's floating around out there, and it's getting noticed by people in the open source community. It eventually gets noticed by journalists at the New York Times who see that these documents, when they can look at them, and presumably they say, oh, yeah, that kind of looks like a classified and you know battlefield update. Um, it's not clear to me, I don't know, whether the Pentagon understood 
because of the New York Times reporting or because of open source reporting that this was out there. But the Times broke that big story, first revealing the presence of these documents, you know, basically around the same time that the Pentagon started looking into the situation that they had on their hands. So this raises a lot of really profound questions about how, not only how Jack Teixeira may have been able to transmit these documents, carry them out of where he worked, um, but also why it took so long for officials to realize that they were, you know, in the wild. When he was sharing them in this Thug Shaker Central server, that's kind of like a closed room. There's not that many people in it. When they then migrate to Malwell, they start going around uh, much more widely and apparently escaped notice for some weeks. Some of these documents, they're like, photographs of documents. They've got fold marks on them. You can see, like, his floor and maybe his family's kitchen counter. So it seems like Teixeira was, what, photographing them? That's what it looks like. I mean, it looks like he printed things out and then brought them home or to some place that's clearly not a workplace and then took photographs of them. And, you know, what we do know from our reporting with people who were his, you know, uh, his friends who hung out with him in the room is that when he first started sharing classified information with the group last year, it wasn't photographs of documents. It was actually transcriptions of intelligence documents that he was typing up by hand and then kind of annotating and adding his own little explanations and commentary to it. And he explained to the group that this is what he was doing. And we've actually seen some of those text documents and they just kind of look like, you know, just like an RTF document, right? It's just like the plain text is all it is. If I were to take a classified document and write it up for you and send you it in an email. Um, and he spends a lot of time, apparently, by his own account doing this, you know, 45 minutes at a time after work, typing these things up. He's tired and he wants to get a reaction from the boys in the room, you know, and it appears that most of them just aren't that interested. There's a, <laughs> two or three people who kind of routinely comment on it or say, oh, how interesting. And the rest are like off talking about games and guns and whatever. Um, and he gets kind of annoyed by this, we're told. And says, look, if you guys aren't going to like take the time to read these things that you know, I've been posting, maybe I shouldn't even just share them at all. And so out of some kind of peak or flex or maybe just to save time, it's not long after that that he starts dropping in photographed images of the actual documents themselves. And this is kind of an efficient way to just post them and people can look at them and, you know, see what what they find is interesting, rather than him going through and taking all the time to write them up. Why he wrote them up in the first place, I don't know. I mean, was this some kind of security measure? Um, you know, one of the people in the room that we interviewed, you know, said that Tashira absolutely, in his words, knew what he was doing was illegal, that he was sharing these things, that it was not authorized. Um, my first thought when I saw a photograph of a document, my mind went back to Reality Winner, yeah. you know, who was the intelligence employee who shared a document um, that uh, uh, had been printed out with journalists, and investigators were able to very quickly look at the document and see a particular, like, watermark. Right, they knew where it had been printed. They, they told them the printer that printed it, right? And from that point on, it's a, just a matter of time to narrow it down to who uh, was the, um, the leaker. And uh, my first thought when I saw this was, well, whoever took a photograph of this document is trying to take a photograph so that it's hard to see 
the marker. Now, we may find out that that wasn't successful and investigators did actually track the marking somehow, but that was, you know, my first thought was that. Then, of course, you know, some of the people in the server are like, well, he was also just trying to save time. So if you're bringing home the documents and you're not going to type them up, well, you might just figure, fine, I'll just take a picture of it and drop that in. I mean, we don't know, but it could be that mundane. Of course, Reality Winner leaked classified material because she thought Americans were being misled about Russian meddling in the 2016 election. Edward Snowden leaked information about National Security Agency surveillance because he thought the programs were unethical. To share his motivations, at least as far as we know now, are a lot less clear. This is all so hard to get your head around because on the one hand, we're talking about very sensitive classified documents. On the other hand, it sounds like um, boys showing off for each other. Yes, yes. This is the, you know, my impression after having spent, you know, the better part of this week reporting on this and talking to people who were involved is that Tashira seemed more interested in demonstrating that he had this secret knowledge that, you know, mere mortals do not possess. And it seemed to give him, to the other kids, um, a sense of authority. Uh, I know things that you don't. You don't really understand how the world works, but I know. And, you know, you could imagine that being true. I mean, if you're reading classified intelligence all day, yeah, you probably do know more than the average person. But as I was listening to some of these kids kind of tell, you know, the story of how he would talk about the government or the world, it seemed to me that he had a sort of slanted view of the world, a kind of paranoid, more conspiratorial view of what the government was all about and that it was sinister and that it had ill intention. And, you know, to me, that struck me as more the kind of view that somebody who is not really like steeped in the inner workings of government would have. I mean, I've reported on intelligence for a long time. When you when you get into the bowels of it, you realize it's a big bureaucracy. You know, it's I mean, many times it's, you know, it, it's not the kind of it's it doesn't present in the way I think that you see it always in movies or in popular culture. And his view of it just struck me as that kind of more naive view, not so much an insider's view. That said, there are plenty of whistleblowers who've worked in the government who have seen things that they thought were illegal, immoral, were wrong, you know, thinking of Edward Snowden. Or reality winner. Or reality winner, right, who, who saw things that were happening that were wrong uh, and, and expose those by leaking specifically on them. There's no indication of that with Tashira. And in fact, one of the kids that we talked to said he is absolutely not a whistleblower. He's not a whistleblower. What, what does that mean? It means that he didn't do this leak. He didn't leak this information to these followers in order to try to expose government wrongdoing. He didn't have the public interests in mind. He didn't, by their account, intend to share it with the public. He intended to only share it with his friends. And I mean, my mind is just kind of like finding it hard to wrap around that too, because it's like, you know, when you're sharing classified information with people who aren't authorized to read it, you're committing a felony. You could go to jail for that for several years. And so, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, query, you know, whether or not this person really understood that. You know, he did, according to this other person, know it was illegal. But I, I, it's just hard for me to imagine why you would take the risk of doing that. If you had no intention of this information being made public, you're not trying to like alert the world to an illegal program or to waste, fraud, and abuse. You're just kind of 
showing off, well, all right, but pretty good chance that one of these guys in the server might make a copy of this document and share it. And that's what happened, apparently. That's how we're here and, you know, essentially how he was caught. When we come back, why Jack Teixeira had access to these documents in the first place. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi. I'm Jeremy Stahl. I'm Slate's jurisprudence editor. Ordinarily, I edit our courts and legal coverage from the comfort of my home office in Los Angeles. But for the next month and a half, I will be locked in a lower Manhattan courtroom with the rest of the press, a jury of 12 New Yorkers, Justice Juan Marchand, prosecutors, Trump's defense team, and the former president himself as history unfolds. I've temporarily moved myself and my family from Los Angeles to New York to cover this case firsthand like I have done in other cases, including the Paul Manafort case, the Roger Stone criminal trial, and Donald Trump's first impeachment. I'm hoping that my background knowledge of the many, many criminal travails of our former president can offer something to you, Slate's listener. Over the next several weeks, you'll be hearing from me on Amicus, Slate's legal podcast, and in articles on Slate.com, from the jury selection to the opening arguments to the witness testimony and cross-examination and the prosecution's case and the defense's case and ultimately to a final verdict. We will be providing you wall-to-wall coverage throughout the entirety of the trial as it unfolds from the courtroom. There's no way I'd be able to do it without the support of Slate Plus. So if you're not already a subscriber, please join today by clicking Try Free at the top of the Amicus Show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash amicus plus to get access wherever you listen. Thank you so, so much. If you want to understand what is happening in the United States right now, you really need to understand what's happening with the courts, the law, and the Supreme Court. The battle between democracy and whatever this cage match is that we're witnessing, it's going to be won and lost at the ballot box, but it's also going to be won and lost in the courtrooms. I'm Dahlia Lithwick. I host Slate's legal podcast, Amicus, and we are doubling our output, bringing you weekly episodes from here on in, because how else can we keep an eye on the many trials of Donald Trump, the conservative legal movement's assaults on our rights, the Supreme Court's latest slate of environmental gutting, gun safety, eviscerating cases on the docket. So follow Amicus wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes dropping every Saturday morning. Before we get into the server stuff and how it bounced around, 
Do we know anything about his politics? He's a young guy. He's he's an Air National Guardsman in Massachusetts. Like, what else do we know? Well, as it was described to us, he, you know, he is not in favor of one state or another. I mean, this one person we talked to said he wanted to make very clear he's not pro-Russia, he's not pro-Ukraine. There was some thought that maybe these documents were leaked by someone who had sort of a stake in the outcome. He didn't feel that way, we're told. Um, You know, the group by its own members is described as having an alt-right flavor to it. Um, You know, we saw a video of somebody who we were told um, was OG to Shara. Now, having seen it, I think I can confirm visually, yes, that was him. Um, you know, yelling racial and ethnic slurs and anti-Semitic slurs into a camera before he then fires off a rifle at a shooting range. Kind of, you know, kind of alarming. Um, so I think, you know, his politics, from what I can tell, would lean in the, the, those directions. Um, but again, it's not clear that he had a political motivation in sharing the information. It was more about educating and enlightening, as he saw it, the people in this room. There's also this weird thing that seems kind of intrinsic to the internet where, yes, there are the kinds of videos you're talking about, and then there is this edge that I think a lot of teenagers find attractive to walk right up to, where they are shitposting, where they are creating obnoxious memes, memes that are just this side of racist. And that seems to be where this stuff went next. It sort of bounced from this tiny group to a bunch of other Discord servers. In fact, I think Wow Mao said, like, well, you might think it's funny to post classified information to your friends. Like, maybe don't do that. I just wonder why this caught on in this particular corner of the internet. I wondered the same thing too. And I keep coming back to the idea that I don't know that these people, these young, these teenagers really understood what they were looking at. I mean, apparently many of them just were deeply uninterested. I mean, maybe they're not like, you know, intelligence nerds like me. I mean, if my friends started sharing me classified documents, I'd pay attention. I don't know if they just didn't get it. They didn't care. Um, they were more interested in games. Uh, but it, 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 you know, it, 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 it strikes me as one of the weirder aspects of this, that he was able to go on to share, a, allegedly sharing this for so long without getting more attention. But then when it does kind of migrate out into the wider world, people still kind of seem to be taking it not too seriously. I mean, didn't one person post it on somebody and say, oh yeah, here, fine, here's some classified documents, just kind of flippantly passing it around. I mean, I, I, I don't know. If it were me, I'd be gathering this stuff up and <laughs> preparing to do something with a, a news report with it. But um, I, the, the way that they just kind of thought maybe it was funny or unusual, I mean, it strikes me that there's a kind of detachment from reality there, you know, that you don't realize that when you're looking at this document, it's not only that you're looking at a document that tells you something really interesting and kind of hidden, you're looking at a document that the United States government does not intend for you to see and is going to want you to give it back. Like, I mean, there's a kind of radioactive element to this thing, right? And I just don't know if any of them fully understood that and, and, and you know, had any idea what they were actually looking at. Is this the first time that intelligence documents of this magnitude or I guess Intel in general has been shared on, on Discord or a platform like this? 
I th- I, as far as I can tell, I think yes. And certainly in this way where it's just sort of passed around so casually, there have been instances, you know, of people printing out documents, obviously, and giving them to journalists. There was an incident some years ago where an NSA employee printed out um, for years, if I remember correctly, classified information and stored it in his house, um, which was, you know, kind of scratching your head. Why? Why were you doing that? It doesn't appear that he gave it to anyone. It's interesting, though, for some years, and I was talking to a U.S. official about this, people who work in counterintelligence, which is, you know, the area where you're trying to prevent secrets from being stolen, have been worried, this person said, about gaming platforms being a place where spies and foreign agents might try to recruit people. And in one scenario that was was spelled out for me was, you know, there was concern that Russia in particular was looking at gaming platforms, and Discord is one of those, and trying to figure out who might be a government employee, maybe who works near a government facility, who works near a military base, and then befriending those people and seeing if they might cajole them into sharing classified information. Um, there has been one instance of on a gaming platform, some players sharing classified schematics about, I think, tanks and weapon systems in the context of a game they were playing about tanks and weapons. So, okay, there's somebody, I guess somebody wanted to say like, hey, if you really want to build a great system here, try this. Um, but, you know, it's just so interesting to me that the people who worry about how secrets spill have for some time been looking at gaming platforms and saying, yeah, this is potentially a point of access for a foreign government. This, this gives us some anxiety. And yet weren't watching the store here. Well, it weren't watching it, right. And as it turns out, I mean, it's not about a foreign government, apparently. It's, it seems to be about an insider doing it, which, I mean, so many of the big leaks, of course, have just been that, have been insiders. I mean, now in one of the servers that I'm in, like, there was a very funny post, someone saying, like, hello to everyone new to the server and federal agents. <laughs> like, they they know, like, the game, the game is up. Right, right. I mean, it's like, you know, and I think probably if you're a member of Congress, you're probably thinking, well, one hopes federal agents are in there because otherwise, what the hell are you doing? Um, and I think that's going to be another piece of this story is to really ask questions about what did the FBI know? Where were they looking? Uh, you know, why Why is it that it's taken until now uh, to find this individual? And particularly after there's been reporting about, you know, these servers and the information that was on them and how it migrated. Uh, you know, I will probably learn more about how the FBI zeroed in on Jack Deshera. But, you know, it, it if you compare what the wider world knew to what the FBI was doing, it seems like they were taking their time. You have done a decent amount of reporting, as have your colleagues at The Post, about the kind of foreign relations fallout here and the fallout for the intelligence community. But I also wonder what the fallout is in terms of the government thinking about how it keeps things safe online. I think there's going to be, well, I can imagine two scenarios. One, and I think if you're sort of interested in the good government, government should be protecting secrets you know, mode, is um, this needs to be a moment of real self-reflection. This needs to be a moment where people start saying, look, you know, how do we lock this stuff down? Why did this guy have access? Why did this guy have access? You know, does he really need to have that access? That is one scenario, and I would imagine there will be members of Congress as well who will be calling for some kind of a review. There's a part of me, though, that thinks maybe things aren't going to change that much. And the reason is that 
What you're seeing now in this vast intelligence system, and the military is part of this too, where 21, 22-year-old guys working in the IT room have access to these bigger computer networks is very much an outgrowth of how the intelligence community changed after the 9-11 attacks. Before 9-11, and this was really pointed to as one of the big causes or causal factors in 9-11, Intelligence like this was siloed. The NSA knew it had what the NSA knew, and it held on to it. The CIA had the CIA's intelligence, and it held on to it. And everybody just kind of kept it in their own little boxes, and they weren't showing it to one another. And what the 9-11 attack showed was like, look, unless all of you are to some degree collaborating and talking to each other, the left hand and the right hand aren't going to know what's going on. Like the, the ears hear one thing and the eyes see another, but the brain's not connecting them. This issue came up again and again in the 9-11 commission hearings, in their report, and in the way the intelligence community was aggressively reshaped in the years after 9-11. And so the thought was, we got to get information out from a, leave this kind of need-to-know mentality in the intelligence community where what you knew was based only on whether you needed to know it towards what they would call need-to-share And this became a big mantra in the years after 9-11. And the idea was that we should push this information, this intelligence out to more people so that anybody who might need it or who could benefit from it would have greater access to it. And when that happens, it creates more points of vulnerability for something like this to happen or an Edward Snowden to happen or a reality winner to happen or a Josh Schulte to happen with with the hacking tools leaks. The more people who have access to stuff, the more challenges, the more chances that they're going to share it or see something they're not supposed to see. And I think that it's going to be hard for the intelligence community to say, all right, fine, let's just go back to the way it was, because they're getting a lot of benefit from their point of view out of collaboration. You know, the system works this way now. It's not perfect, and there's still, you know, some isolation, but the intelligence community is far more collaborative in its structure. And I don't know whether or not even a leak that's as serious as this is necessarily going to persuade intelligence leaders, no, we just need to break it and go back to the way things were before 9-11. So this might just be the cost of doing business? I think it might be the cost of doing business and that what they're going to find is somewhere in the middle where they can say, all right, we need to have sharing, we need to have access. Do the sharers of the world need to have access to everything? Do we really need to go that far? And they might start calibrating. It's just hard for me to imagine that they will say, we're rewinding the clock here and going back to the way things worked in the Cold War. Shane Harris, thank you so much. Lizzie, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Shane Harris covers intelligence and national security for The Washington Post. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Shannon Palace. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership with Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you like what we are doing here, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.